2,000 years ago, he rode into Jerusalem to the applause of thousands and thousands of people as they laid their coats on the road and waved their palm branches and proclaiming him king, crying out these words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The Passover celebration was in full swing. The commemoration of God's deliverance from Egyptian bondage when the death angel passed over those homes of the Israelites. Those homes having been marked with the blood of the lamb on their doorways. Aren't you glad you've been marked with the blood of the lamb? Aren't you glad that the judgment of God has passed over you because of the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf? Well, excitement was in the air back then. I mean, it was a very important religious holiday, okay? This was Passover. And, and, and let me tell you something. Excitement is in the air, but so is the stench of religious hypocrisy. And Jesus smells it the moment he enters the city. I want to tell you, it is no different than today. Religious holidays have always been havens for hypocrisy. And Easter is no exception. Everybody all of a sudden gets religious. And everybody's going to church. And everybody's putting on their Sunday best. The stench of hypocrisy will hang in the air. Just make sure it's not you that stinks. The stench... Of hypocrisy will hang in the air. Just make sure it is not you who stinks. Don't be religious, be righteous. And don't just show up for appearance, you show up to worship your great God. And and don't just come out for grandma, come out for God. It's all about Him. Well, Jesus can't take the stench anymore. He's just been gagging on it as he comes to the city. You know, it's kind of like my wife when I walk in the house after a long run. (laughs) She looks at me in disbelief and she commands me out of her kitchen and take a shower and get those shoes into the garage. (laughs) She lets me have it. She won't even let me hug her. Oh, she's mean. I'm telling you, that woman... Just trying to express my love. Well, let me tell you something. The Jesus, uh, the, Jesus is going to let the hypocrites have it. He's going to lay into them on this Passover week because he's so tired of their stench. And we see this recorded for us in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. Chapter 23. As Jesus pronounces... These eight woes of blistering condemnation. Blistering condemnation. One commentator, Alfred Plumer, put it this way. Like thunder in their unanswerable severity and like lightning in their unsparing exposure. They illuminate while they strike. And that's exactly what these eight woes of the Lord Jesus Christ do does. Now, he's been warning the people about the religious leaders and being careful of them. And now he turns his gaze right on the religious leaders and he preaches what some people es- uh, estimate as his last recorded sermon. 
So Jesus is going out with a bag, okay? And, and he's not going to hold back. And he doesn't care if this is a religious holiday and everybody's supposed to feel good. He's going to let them have it. And, and I want you to hear these words of condemnation, not only directed at the religious leaders, but also for your sake and for my sake, that we let the words of God expose any stench of hypocrisy that is in your life and that is in my life. Because Jesus is sick of the stench. I've titled this message, The Stench of Religious Hypocrisy Makes Jesus Sick. Jesus is sick, number one. He's sick of religious roadblocks. He's sick of religious roadblocks. We see the first woe recorded in verse 13 of Matthew 23. Verse 13. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe! Anguish and affliction to you, misery and despair to you, judgment of the Almighty God to fall upon you, is what Jesus is saying. Happy Passover! He's very personal here. You. And he's pointing the finger, so to speak. And and I want you to notice, he's singling them out in front of the entire group of people. So I just want to say right now, please don't ever complain that my messages are too harsh. Just want us to put that out there. Maybe this world needs a little bit more people preaching like Jesus, especially around religious holidays. Well, who are the you? He calls them scribes. Those are the teachers and interpreters of the law. Basically lawyers. Nobody, no wonder nobody likes them. But anyway, they rule on the legal matters of the law. And then he says the Pharisees. This is the biggest religious group around, okay? And they were the biggest critics of Jesus and his ministry, the Pharisees. They were jealous of his authority. They were jealous of all the people following him. And these guys were the authorities on the Jewish law. They taught the strict observance to the law as well as strict observance to the oral tradition of the law. Now, their name comes, Pharisees, from separatists. They had separated themselves from the unclean Gentiles. That's the tax collectors and the sinners. And they had separated themselves from unclean Jews who didn't follow the law. They were basically better than anybody else. That's who they were. So they turned their nose up in the air. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. To their face, in front of everybody, as he enters the city during that week. This was the highest religious office in the country. And Jesus went right after him. These were the most important religious leaders in the nation. And Jesus doesn't care. He just, he just lays it on the line. You're hypocrites. Comes from the Greek word meaning you're a play actor. You're a religious pretender. The Oscar for best actor goes to the Pharisees. For best supporting actor went to the scribes. And they swept the Oscars in Jesus' opinion. Why the woe? Why this condemnation? Because they should be helping people to God and they're keeping people from God. You know how many churches are doing that? You know how many religious leaders are doing that across this nation? And we'll do that next week. They're not going to be helping people to God. They're going to be hindering people from God. Because they will not preach and teach the word of God. 
they will preach good works, and they will preach being nice, and they will preach God accepting everybody. What they're doing is they're preaching lies, is what they're doing. Woe to them! Woe to them for putting the traditions of men above the truth of Almighty God. Woe to them! People are heading down the road to salvation. They're on their way to meet Jesus, to learn about Jesus. And these guys are putting up roadblocks and detour signs and waving people and rerouting them. You don't want Jesus. Don't go near that guy. He's a false prophet. Listen carefully. The last thing you want to do is stand in the way of somebody coming to Jesus. The last thing you want to do is stand in the way of anybody coming to Jesus. You wave them on through and you do everything to clear the path and you give them very clear directions and instructions on how to find Jesus as your Savior. Is that what you're doing? Waving people through, giving them directions, helping them to Jesus? Are you standing in the way? You're standing in the way with the testimony and how you're living your life before unsaved people. And then when your neighbor finds out you're a Christian, your coworker says, you're a Christian? The way you swear at work? The way you don't pay your bills? The way you treat your wife and kids? What kind of roadblock are you putting up before this unsaved world that God is saying, you make me sick because people are trying to get to me and you're standing in the way. Do everything you can to get people to Jesus. The truth is, not all religious leaders are going to heaven. He says, you don't even enter it yourself, verse 13. And listen, not all pastors are going to heaven. Not all, not all religions worship the same God. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. To reject Jesus is to reject heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Say it with me. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is only one way. Don't fall for the lies of this world that says there's all these ways to God or we worship the same God. We do not worship the same God. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be what? Saved. There is a huge difference between true faith Christianity and all the religions of the world. All of the other religions in the world say, just do this and just do this and just do this and God will let you into heaven. Only Christianity says you are so bad, there is nothing you can do you must fall on the mercy and grace of Almighty God. There's a huge difference. Only one religion has their God dying for their people. And that is our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, died and came back to life. And we'll be celebrating that next week. The stench of religious hypocrisy makes Jesus sick. Jesus is sick of religious roadblocks. Next, he's sick of praying while praying. He's sick of people who prey on people while they're praying. Look at verse 14. 
Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. They're, they're, they're good at preying on people. They're fleecing the flock. They're taking advantage of the little old ladies. It's what they're doing. Convincing them how best to use their money for God. And, and helping them ease their guilty conscience because of some sin in their background. Assuring them of God's pleasure if they just gave them that money. There's all kinds of ploys to swindle people out of money. Oh, by the way, this past week I had really exciting news. I, I received a fax from Spain from a distant relative. Left, left me $20,900,000. Woo! It wasn't from Nigeria. It was from Spain. And, and the guy had the same lesson, and I didn't even know I was Spanish. But anyway, I was told if I act quickly and confidentially, hopefully Mr. Javier Alvarez Cerrone is not live streaming the service today. And, uh, that, 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 and if I just give him, I think, all kinds of personal information and send some money, this will be coming to me. I, it's amazing. You know what makes this worse is that these were religious leaders. These were religious leaders. They, they should have been caring and they should have been protecting and watching over the hurting and lonely. They were wolves in sheep clothing. That's what these guys were. And by the way, they're out there today. Exercise discernment. And, and listen, ladies, you little widows out there who are so sweet and you come to church here, please be careful of people taking advantage of you. And listen up, church family. We need to, we need to look over the widows in this church. We need to be there to protect them and guide them and pray for them and bless them and help them. They're praying on people and while they're praying people, they are, look at it says here, for a pretense you offer up long prayers. You've heard of people playing pretend? They like to pray pretend. That's who they are. They pray pretend. And they're empty prayers, no impact. They never get past the ceiling. And they're long prayers. Their prayers are impressive and eloquent and flowing with illustrative language and poetic verbiage. And they're so close to God the way that they pray, obviously. Listen, don't equate long prayers with spiritual people. I had a very gifted seminary professor now in heaven. I loved how Howard Hendricks said it. In private, pray long. In public, pray short. It's good advice. Jesus taught us how to pray. Matthew 6, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, street corners, that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. All they wanted was the applause of men. That's all they're going to get. They don't get anything from God. But you, when you pray, where do you go? Into your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition over and over, saying the same things as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then Jesus says these guys have greater condemnation because they prey on people while they're praying to me. The stench of religious hypocrisy makes Jesus sick. He's sick of religious roadblocks praying while praying. He's sick of hardworking hellions. What is that? Look at verse 15. What are you, scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. These false teachers were so zealous and so passionate, 
Think about the cults today. Travel anywhere, show up in pairs at your door in your neighborhood, pass out their pamphlets of well-articulated lies denying the deity of Jesus Christ and that he is the only way. They'll gladly talk to you for hours as they invite you to depart from true orthodoxy and embrace hell. That's who they are. They work hard. They're well studied. They work hard for one convert. For the Jews here, it was a full convert to Judaism with all the rigors of the law. All the ceremonial cleansings and circumcision and rituals and feasts and the oral traditions in the fullest sense, having them become full Jews. Listen. Sadly, false teachers and those in cults work harder to make a child of hell than most Christians work to make a child of heaven. Those in cults are putting you to shame. They are working so hard to make a child of hell. And you barely work, some of you, to make a child of heaven. When's the last time you shared your faith with a coworker? When's the last time you sat down and explained the gospel to a neighbor? When is the last time you talked to a, to a person, a classmate, that you go to school with? What a shame. The cults work harder than we do to send somebody to hell than for us to rescue somebody to make sure they know the love of God, the grace of God that you've experienced, the mercy of God that you've embraced, the forgiveness that God has shown to you. Why Why are we not sharing that? Will you stop being ashamed of the love of God? Will you stop being ashamed of his power to change your life? Somebody was not ashamed to share it with you. Somebody cared enough to talk to you. Would you start caring enough to talk to others? These false teachers were very successful. Sadly, they make converts. Some stats in America, the combined stats from 2001 to 2015 from the American Religious Identification Survey and Pew Research, the cults increased in the past 14 years, or in those 14 years, by 48%. In America. Eastern religions increased by 74% in this nation. Sadly, the most converted often become the most perverted. Look at the end of verse 15. You make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. The fanatical zeal of these false teachers and their disciples just surpasses those that came before them. The stench of religious hypocrisy Jesus is sick next of broken promises and lame excuses. Broken promises and lame excuses. These religious leaders were experts at it. We have the longest section now, verse 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold on the temple, ah, he's obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctified the offering? 
Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. You may say, I don't get this, Pastor Scott. Help me understand this. Explain it. Well, he uses a new description for these guys. And this is the first time he'll use it in in chapter 23, and he'll continue on. He calls them blind. Verse 16, he'll call them blind guides here, and then blind men, and then blind men, and then blind guides, and then blind Pharisee. You get the idea, they're blind. They don't see what matters most in life. They can't perceive truth from error. They're like a really bad home plate umpire who can't tell the difference between balls and strikes. You know, the kind of guys that you hear people say, can I pet your seeing eye dog? You need a new prescription mask. You couldn't see the plate if your dinner was on it. Now I know why there's only one eye in umpire. These kind of guys. But the sad thing is, these blind guides are much worse than blind umpires. Because a blind umpire may ruin a game. These guys are ruining lives eternally. And souls are striking out. And they're not being sent down to the minors. They're being sent to hell is where they're being sent. Blind guides are very dangerous. You you can't lead where you can't see. And you can't lead where you've never been. These guys have never been in a relationship with God, and so they can't lead people to God. They're blind is who they are. And he gives two illustrations of their blindness, verse 16 and 18. Whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. Whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he's obligated. Whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. Whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. So in other words, listen, this is the reality of the problem. They're making exceptions to the rules. They're finding loopholes to avoid keeping their promises. It's, listen, it's kind of the equivalent of a kid today who, who, makes a promise, he swears to his friend that he's going to do something, and then when he doesn't, he says, I had my fingers crossed. Oh, but if he would have said, cross my fingers, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, then he would have followed through. That's what these guys are doing. They're playing games. They're making promises and then saying, oh, I, I didn't have to fulfill that. They're also not only blind, they're pretty dumb. Verse 17 and 19, Jesus says, you fools, blind men, what's more important, the gold in the temple or the, or the temple that sanctified the gold? And what's more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies? He's saying making a vow on something lesser like gold or offering, it can't be more binding than the vow on something greater like the temple or the altar. Stop twisting your religion. Stop twisting your religion to get out of what you promised you would do. Stop warping your promise to avoid your responsibility. You made a promise to someone you need to follow through on it. You made a vow to your spouse, you need to follow through on it. Don't be using your religion, oh, God understands, oh, God, yeah, God understands you're breaking your word. That's what he understands. You made a promise, you follow through. You made a vow, you follow through. Stop looking for excuses with your religious hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus clarifies things for them, verse 20 through 22. 
To swear by the altars, to swear by everything on it. To swear by the temples, to swear by him who dwells in it. To swear by heaven is to swear by the throne of God who sits on it. Your word is binding. You have a responsibility and you can't escape it. Listen, God is the creator of everything. To swear by anything at all involves God. So you keep your word. You have a responsibility. You know what the best practice is? Stop swearing and keep your word. Jesus' words in Matthew 5. I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or by, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be what? Yes, yes, or no, no, anything beyond these is evil. James 5.12, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Say yes or say no and keep your word. The stench of religious hypocrisy. Jesus is sick of majoring on the minors. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, talk about attention to detail. These guys were strict adherents to the law. Deuteronomy 14.22, you'll surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of your field every year. Leviticus 27, thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, and of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. They would tithe from the smallest of their garden herbs. I mean, talk about sticklers for details. They were counting leaves or counting seeds. Imagine every ten seeds, one for God. I mean, they were into this, people. All right, the, the minutiae and the details were there, but they missed the forest for the trees. While they're counting their little leaves and seeds, they miss the huge, important character qualities. And he names a couple of them, like justice. Yeah, you picked out your seed, but are, are you being fair and honest and showing integrity toward people? Yeah you, yeah, you gave me your seed, but is there mercy in your life? Are, are you being compassionate to others and being kind and sympathetic? Yeah, you gave me another seed or leaf, but have you been faithful? Have you been faithful to your word? Have you been faithful and true? I mean, they've forgotten verses like Micah 6, 8. He's told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's more than just little seeds, God says. It's the big things that you need to focus on that are very important. Now, it's interesting. Jesus didn't condemn the details in their tithing. He says, do both. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. 
So do the little things, but don't forget the big things, is what Jesus is saying. Pay attention to the details, but don't miss the priorities. Because you've, you've become these blind guides who, who you pick a bug out of your cup. Ew, look at this bug. Why you drink down a camel? By the way, both were unclean and would make you ceremonially unclean, regardless of the size. He's saying, you're so worried about this little gnat while you're drinking down an entire camel. Make sure you don't get caught up in all the details that you miss the big character qualities that God wants you and me working on in our lives. Because you know what's going to happen? We're going to think we're so spiritual because we mark this box and mark this box and mark this box. I came to church today and I did this and I did that. Yeah. But are you being faithful? And are you showing mercy? Are you being fair? How about kind? He's saying, don't, don't major on the minors. Think about the big things too. The stench of religious hypocrisy. Jesus is sick of filthy faith. Say that with me. Jesus is sick of filthy faith. Look at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, and inside you're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may become clean also. See, some people look really good and really godly on the outside. We got this religious thing down. We go to church. We carry a Bible. We teach a Sunday school or usher. We greet. We sing on a worship team, play an instrument. We're part of a life group or, or a Bible study. We take our kids to Awana, a youth group. We may even serve as a deacon or on staff at the church. We are washed on the outside and we look really good, really religious, and really godly. Jesus saying, how's the inside going? I know you look good on the outside. How's it going on the inside? See, for these guys, it wasn't good. He says, you're full of robbery. Remember the little old ladies, the little old widow ladies that are robbing? Let me ask you, how's it going on the inside? These guys were stealing. You stealing anything? You stealing from your employer? You stealing from your employees? You stealing from your parents? Jesus said, I don't care what you look like on the outside. Let's talk the inside. Stealing from your kids? How about this one? You stealing from God? How you doing in the area of tithes and offerings? Oh, but I look so godly. No, no, let's talk hypocrisy. Let's talk stealing. That's right where he went. No more hypocrisy. Let's get it right on the inside. They're full of self-indulgence. It was all about them. They lacked self-control. Maybe it was physical. Maybe the consumption of food and drink and sleep. 
Maybe it was sexual, their immorality and immoral lifestyles. Maybe it was financial, unrestrained with their money, no self-control. How about you? Let's talk about the inside. How you doing with self-control when it comes to food, when it comes to drink? Now he's meddling. I'm not coming back to this church. (laughs) Take it up with Jesus. He's saying, I don't want to talk about your outside. Anybody can whitewash themselves, make them look pure. We'll talk to that passage in a minute, too. How you doing, self-control? How you doing with sleep? Not falling prey to being lazy, are we? How you doing sexually? Self-controlled there? How you doing financially? Since it's all God's anyway, and we're stewards of what God has given us. You being careful with your finances? Jesus is saying, you know, it's time to work on the inside. Clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will become clean also. See, See, we spend all this time on a Sunday morning... Staring in the mirror, fixing our hair, doing our makeup. I don't do makeup, it's just for those who do. Picking out your clothes, making sure your outfits match your shoes, and the jewelry's just right, you're going to church. What's going on in the inside? Listen, God doesn't care if you roll out of bed Get here in your pajamas. Don't brush your teeth. Don't pick the eye boogers out of your eyes. And, and, and don't comb your hair. He doesn't care. He cares about what's in here. Your heart. The inside. And by the way, the inside affects the outside. He says, so that the outside of it may become clean also. See, if your cup is dirty, if you have a cup and it's dirty... The drink you pour into it then becomes dirty. You got nasty stuff in that cup you didn't see and you pour milk or something into it? Uh. Now, unless you drink your coffee black, that'll kill anything. I mean, you just pour that stuff, but anyway. I mean, if, if, if your plate is dirty, you have a dirty, nasty plate and you put your food on that plate? Yeah. Well, yes, because the inside affects the outside. He's saying, let's focus on the inside. Let's spend some time on the inside, not just the outside. The stench of religious hypocrisy. Jesus is sick next of rotten religion. Say it with me. Jesus is sick of rotten religion. Very similar to the cup and dish. Look at verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. Inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, inwardly You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He likens the religious leaders to what's inside of a tomb. That could not have gone over very well. Now, understanding tombs in Israel. It was customary to paint them white, to beautify them, especially during religious holidays like Passover. and, And not only to beautify them, it was to protect people from touching them. Because if you touched a grave 
you were ceremonially unclean for seven days. Numbers 19.16. Anyone who's in an open field touches one who's been slain with a sword or has died naturally or a human bone or a grave shall be unclean seven days. So they painted them white to say, hey, don't touch this because if you touch it, you're unclean. That kind of put a damper on your religious holiday when you're in Jerusalem and now you're unclean and can't do anything. Now, Jesus is saying the tombs look good on the outside, but they're gross on the inside. If we were to go down to a cemetery in the area and have them dig up a coffin or look at a beautiful mausoleum or, or a casket, and then you pop that thing open, you know what's in there. It's a body that is decayed. It's decomposed. It's, it's, it's rottenness and stench and uncleanness. It's like saying, you know what? You're nothing but a putrid corpse inside a pretty casket. That's what he's telling these guys. You're a putrid corpse inside a pretty casket. Wow. You look really godly, but you're really gross. And it's just all whitewash. It's just all a show. And he says it's, you're, you're full. You're full of hypocrisy, duplicity, and deception, and spiritual play acting. You're full of lawlessness, breaking God's word all over the place in many different ways, he was telling them. And you're, you're living in disobedience all over. D.L. Moody talked of a great painting once that was exhibited in London. From a distance, you saw a monk. And this monk was engaged in prayer, and his hands were folded, and his head was bowed. As you got closer to this painting, you quickly realized that the monk was squeezing a lemon into a punch bowl. What do people see from a distance when they see you? And what do they see when they really get to know you? From a distance, do we look pretty spiritual? And then when people get up close to us, they realize we're just squeezing lemons into a bowl of hypocrisy. Let's work on the inside. No more hypocrisy. One last thing, we come to the final woe. Jesus is sick of empty honor. He's sick of empty honor. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we'd been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Jesus' response, so you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Now, these are honorable actions and words. I mean, their actions are respectful. They're paying respect to God-fearing, God-serving, righteous men of old like the prophets, and they're building their tombs. They're honoring them, and they're adorning their monuments. That seems like a good thing. And their words are respectful. They're condemning the deeds against the prophets of God. You know, they, they say, we wouldn't have been partners in the shedding of blood of the prophets, and they're decrying these crimes against these men of God. So, so what's the problem? They seem to be showing honor and, and speaking honorable things. Here's the truth. You testify, verse 31, against yourselves, your sons of those who murder the prophets, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Hey, Jesus says you're related to those murderers. Your self-righteous arrogance is sickening. 
to say that you are better than those before you. Why? Because you are far worse. Because at this moment, they were planning the death of Jesus. The most righteous prophet, the most godly man, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Christ. We would never do that. We would never do that. We would never do that. And the astounding hypocrisy and arrogance is that exactly what they were doing. And Jesus says, fill up the measure of the guilt of your fathers. There is this big, massive bucket of judgment that is slowly and surely being filled up. And one day it is going to be poured out. You ever take your kids to a water park and they have those big soaker buckets? It's slowly filling up and slowly filling up and you hear ding, ding, ding and all the kids are screaming and running. Ah, and all of a sudden, <laughs> listen, God's judgment's gonna be poured out without warning. And it's not gonna be fun. It's gonna be Painful. And Jesus says, you just keep filling up the judgment bucket. You just keep filling it up. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Listen, if you reject Jesus, you can't escape the sentence of hell. He is the only one that can save you. He is the Passover lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. To reject the offering of your salvation is to condemn yourself to hell. God in his love, God in his mercy offers you Jesus, the substitute for your sin, the sacrifice for your sin. If you reject him, you sentence yourself to hell. No matter how religious you are. No matter how many times you come to church. No matter the position you hold on a church staff. To reject Jesus is to be sentenced to hell. That is the message we've got to get out. And that is the message some of you hear need to respond to.